0: It is 620. Good morning. I'm Scott Jagow. Not a bad weekend in store. We do have clouds this morning. A little sticky, but it's going to get less humid throughout the day. And we're only getting to 80 degrees. Tomorrow's high only 86. Not bad for mid-July. Bourbon is big time these days, but there was a time when bourbon was in trouble in the spirits industry. It's a good story. Mark Rucker, the CEO of the website TheBourbonLife.net, joined Chris and Amy this week to talk about it. Well, back in 1968, the, the industry, the marketplace for bourbon uh, was dwindling uh, substantially. Uh, there had been some cultural shifts with regard to the, the generation at that point in time that was getting into drinking. They didn't want to drink what their parents were drinking. They didn't want to drink the, the brown liquors. So they were headed more towards the lighter whiskeys, more towards vodkas, gin, things like that. Um, so a lot of distillers were actually wanting to try to change the definition of what bourbon actually was or is. Um, to include the light whiskeys because there were Scotch manufacturers, Irish whiskey manufacturers, Canadian whiskeys that were coming out, being produced that were really more of a light whiskey. So they had a a lower proof. They were um, more like a neutral grain spirit with some coloring, maybe some flavoring to it. And I think bourbon producers back then, realizing that they were headed towards a slump, really were looking at the possibility of trying to change the definition of what bourbon is um, at that point so they could incorporate light whiskey into into their uh, distillation program.
1: So right now, because all bourbons are whiskeys, but not all whiskeys are bourbons, obviously. Right. The definition of bourbon is?
0: Uh, bourbon has to be at least 51% corn. Uh, so the mash bill, you'd have to have at least 51% corn in that grain bill. Uh, it also cannot be distilled at higher than 160 proof. So when it comes off of the spill, it cannot be distilled higher than that 160 proof. It cannot go into the barrel at more than 125 proof. Uh, and there are different distillers that fluctuate with where they go into the barrel at. But 125 is the maximum. It has to go into a new charred oak container. The, the regulations actually just say container. Uh, but it has to be new and it has to be charred oak. Um, and, of course, all the distillers use barrels uh, when they when they do that. But it has to be a new charred oak barrel, basically. Um, and then there's other standard definitions, like for straight whiskey, has to be aged two years old to be called a Kentucky bourbon. It has to be aged in Kentucky, distilled and aged in Kentucky for at least one year. Um, so those are the primary requirements. Oh, and it can't can't have any add, additives, no coloring, no flavorings, uh, anything added to it other than water. You, you know, when you were talking about how uh, people did not want to. Decades ago, they did not want to drink what their parents were drinking. They were uh, moving toward more lighter alcohols instead of, of drinking that uh, the whiskey, drinking the scotch. Has that rebounded back the other direction? It, has, it seems to me that bourbon, um, American bourbon, Kentucky bourbon, has had a real renaissance in the last 15, 20 years. Yes, it really has. Since the early 2000s, uh, we've come out of what, what people recall, they call them the dark ages of bourbon, Um, There was really a a period of time where the sales were down substantially. Uh, The the industry was on life support, but uh, due to the efforts of several key players in the bourbon industry, a lot of the the master distillers themselves who are out on the road, uh, who are actually touting the benefits of bourbon and how wonderful it is, um, they really worked hard. But then, yeah, you know, these younger generations came back to it. We saw it in terms of, uh, you know, like entertainment, shows like Mad Men that were out there, Don Draper's mixing up a, a an old fashioned with rye whiskey. Yeah. Um, we see this growth of cocktail culture where people are really starting to get into these cocktails and they don't want gin or vodka. They want something with flavor. They want these older Negronis, the Manhattans, um, the Boulevardiers, you know, things like that, the old fashions. So we see this increase in this cocktail culture and this whole new generation that really starts shifting back to these dark spirits, the bourbon and the rye, especially, um, and we've just seen that continue to grow in popularity. And it's just been really, um, really incredible. You know, it's always cyclical. There's always going to be cycles in, in the industry. And we've seen that over over time since Prohibition. But right now, I mean, the bourbon wave is, is incredible. And these distilleries are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on, these, on expansion and renovations uh, to keep up with the demand. And they're looking 20 to 25 years down the road in doing this.
1: I think this is a shot in the dark here because I may have remembered this wrong, but I know prohibition really changed, altered the history of bourbon. I know you just referenced prohibition, but there was something about a certification because of bourbon and the way it was being made right after prohibition. Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I remembering this wrong about the history of bourbon immediately after prohibition?
0: Well, there, it was in the, in the late 1800s, there were some efforts uh, led. There was a, a gentleman by the name of E.H. Taylor who was here in Kentucky. Um, he actually worked for well Buffalo Trace before it was Buffalo Trace, and he also founded his own distillery. But he worked hard to pass what was called the Bottled and Bond Act that really set That's standards for, for the production of bourbon. And then in 1906, there was the Pure Food and Drug Act, with, which also really set what the definition of bourbon was at that point in time. And that's where we really saw the difference between the distillers, who were distilling bourbon and wanted bourbon to be, a, you know, a product that was actually distilled and aged in barrels, versus what they called the rectifiers. And the rectifiers were people who were buying neutral grain spirits, which were just that were spirits that were distilled at higher than 160 proof, so maybe 180, 190 proof. They were putting flavorings, they were putting colorings, they were putting a lot of other nasty stuff sometimes in those uh, barrels as well. And then they were selling that um as bourbon as well. And that's that's really where that whole white whiskey you know came from at that point in time. But then after Prohibition, you know, we see we see this this push this growth of bourbon. Um, you know, that we had the war of course after that, um, and people coming back from the war and we saw this huge growth of bourbon. But then, you know, like you said, in the in the late sixties, seventies and even into the eighties and nineties, we saw that downturn in the in the marketplace.
1: Okay. I did have it mixed up. I had heard about the bottled and bond Act of 1897. I don't know why I mixed it up with prohibition, but uh, briefly, what exactly did that do again?
0: Yeah. So, so what happened was, you know, there were there were rectifiers out there who were taking these barrels that were produced by distillers, and then they were rebarreling oh. them. They were mixing other products into it. I mean, sometimes they would put things like turpentine, tobacco spit. I mean, it was oh. nasty. Some of the things. No, I'm serious. Tobacco I mean, it's, spit. It's doc- yes, because it's brown and it gives color and there's some sweetness to it. I know that sounds gross, but yes, that, there's documented proof that that was actually being done oh. by some of these rectifiers. So they are rebottling this and putting it out as their own product. And of course, it was a question of, of safety. So the bottled and bond pack was actually one of the very first, um, kind of like a Food and Drug Administration, even though it didn't exist back then, but it was one of the first acts dedicated to purity of food and, and you know manufactured uh, products like, like whiskey. So what it did was it set standards. So to be bottled and bond, it had to be 100 proof. Um, so, you know, that means 50% alcohol by volume. So 100 proof. Uh, it had to be four years old, at least four years old. And it had to be stored or saved in a federally bonded warehouse. And there was a warehouseman, that, a federal agent, that would have a key, uh, and he would have access to that to that warehouse so he could check on the whiskey. So it really just set standards. It was one of the first acts approved by Congress that really set standards for the production of uh, food goods, in this case, whiskey. That is Mark Rucker, the CEO of the website, thebourbonlife.net. Now I'm going to gurgle some mouthwash.
1: <laughs> we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Over here.
0: Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.